0: Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today I want to talk with you about waiting on the Lord. The text is Acts one, one through fourteen. First reading. Many years ago, my father was admitted to MD Anderson Hospital for a last heroic course of chemotherapy. He had cancer of the colon. Eighteen months before that, he and I talked, and he listed many symptoms that he experienced. And as he rattled off the list, I knew immediately that he had cancer of the colon. I told him what he needed to do, where he needed to go, who he needed to see, what kinds of tests he needed. And I told him what kind of treatment he would probably receive. He didn't listen to me and received six courses of antibiotics for a viral infection of the gastrointestinal tract. Six months after that, surgeon opened him up and he had widely metastatic cancer of the colon. He had many rounds of chemotherapy which were not helpful and he was finally taken to MD Anderson Hospital for his last course. It was not helpful either either, and he was dying. So they called in the family. But what I really want to talk with you about is a conversation that I had. My uncle his brother, came from Detroit. He was a very powerful man, an industrialist. He was a vice president of design of Chrysler Corporation during its heyday. And he was the chairman of the board of a big suburban hospital in the Detroit area. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with him. He wasn't unkind, but he was very direct. What's going on? What's the plan? Who's in charge? And I tried to answer his questions and he sat down. And he said, I can do many things, but there's one thing I cannot do. I cannot sit still and do nothing. I'll never forget that. It's hard for all of us to sit still. Truly it is. Surely, each one of us have heard somebody say, don't just sit there, do something, get to work. It's the American way, right? Well, it used to be the American way. (laughs) But what I really want to talk about is not just waiting. I want to talk about waiting on the Lord. To wait on him is to wait on him to act, to deliver, to save, to avenge, to provide, to renew, to reveal. In short, to do what only he can do. I want us to look at Acts 1. Acts picks up where Luke's gospel ends. Jesus' ministry on earth was exercised personally and publicly. His ministry from heaven is exercised through his Holy Spirit, by the apostles, and by us. The ascension was the bridge. Today's reading is nestled right in between the glorious ascension and Pentecost. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, till the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Jesus proved the resurrection. You could see him. He could hear. He could speak. You could touch him. He could cook. He could eat. He could walk through walls. But it was Jesus. He went around for 40 days teaching the kingdom. He presented himself to 500 witnesses on one occasion. It was Jesus. He was the risen Lord. On the road to Emmaus, he taught the disciples everything about him and Moses and the prophets. And he taught them that he should suffer and on the third day rise. He commanded that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all nations. This past Thursday we celebrated the Ascension. Jesus goes up to sit at the right hand of the Father as King of Kings. Next Sunday we celebrate Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. You may notice the Paschal Candle. It's here, but it's not burning. It was extinguished thirsty as we celebrated Jesus going up. He's not here on earth. And while we wait for the Holy Spirit to come, we pray. the interval the interval between Ascension and Pentecost was once designated by Karl Barth as the grand pause, the grand pause, the significant pause between the mighty acts of God, a pause in which the church's task is to wait and pray. And we pray, Come, Holy Spirit. And while staying with him he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. We're to wait. You see, it's in Jerusalem where the story of salvation begins. And it's from Jerusalem that God's word spreads out all over the world. Jerusalem was the divinely intended scene for the giving of the Spirit. The place where Jesus was rejected was to be the place where fresh witness of him would begin. By commanding them to wait in Jerusalem, Jesus was fulfilling expectations which extended back to the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah prophesied, the law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Jesus' own teaching had confirmed this anticipation. Jesus had told them they would receive power from on high. Jerusalem would be the place. Though they might be tempted to leave Jerusalem and go back to Galilee, or even avoid persecution and go back to their previous occupations, to their previous way of life, Jesus was telling them to wait, to wait in the city. It's so hard to wait, it really is. I'm trying to teach my dog to wait. When we go anywhere near a big open field across from our home, across the farm road, he wants to bolt and run free. And he's beautiful when he does that, running along the creek bank. I can't blame him. But he doesn't know that the cars can hurt him. And so it took four of us about 20 minutes to get him back just this past week. Waiting is hard for men and beasts. Baptized, what does that mean? Well, of course, baptized is usually used in the context of water, sprinkling, or pouring dipping or immersing (laughs) water. But when we talk about baptism and the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a union of the Holy Spirit and us. A knitting together. A uniting. Jesus promised that in a little while God will supply the church with all the resources it needs for fulfilling its missionary mandate. They will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Spirit will be the dynamo that activates their testimony. After Jesus, the very concept of power changes. Determining worth changes. There's now a new reality. There is a new kingdom. Death, the ultimate ending, has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus. Luke's history is the story of that new reality which has turned the world completely upside down. Believers live as people between the times, between the end of an old age held by the powers of death and evil, and a new age where the future is still to be fully realized still open-ended to the movements of the Spirit. In the book of Acts, two languages are used to describe what has happened in Christ. One the language of resurrection victory, victory over death. The other the language of ascension, sitting at the right hand of God and empowerment Christians who have not yet done so need to appropriate that power, the wisdom, and the joy that's already theirs. But I think I'm getting ahead of this story. I have to come back next week. Let's talk about the ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's not surprising that the disciples would ask this. In the Old Testament, the coming of the Spirit and the coming of the kingdom were joined. For example, we read in Ezekiel, I will leave none of them remaining among the nations anymore, and I will not hide my face anymore from them. and I pour out my Spirit upon the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Jesus responded. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He wants them to see that the kingdom is not a political restoration of Israel. The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit. It's spread by witness, not by soldiers. Through a gospel of peace, not a declaration of war. And by the work of the Spirit not by force of arms. But here comes the promise. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This power will enable those who receive it to give testimony and speak with boldness. The main theme of Acts is that the Apostles are to give testimony to all peoples about Jesus, about what he did, and about what he taught. In his name, repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be preached to all the nations. Beginning, beginning from Jerusalem, that's where it starts. The good news is to be spread first by the apostles, and then all believers, or then to be empowered by the Spirit and become ministers of the Word. That's all of you and me. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. The cloud is the vehicle which envelops Jesus and transports him away. It is the sign of the heavenly glory of God. Jesus has gone up, but not away. He sits in power. He is the king of kings. He is at the right hand of God. What is he doing now? What is Jesus doing now, right now, this moment? What's he doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. First of all, he knows about all our fears. He knows about all our pains. He knows about our temptations. He knows about our troubles. He knows about our sicknesses. He knows about our diseases. No matter what we face, what he's doing is he's praying. He's praying for us right now. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. These angels comment on what has happened. They ask the disciples why they are gazing into heaven. The question is an implicit reproach of them for hanging around and longing for Jesus to remain with them. Already the apostles have been told what they are to do. Now they are given an assurance that the ascension of Jesus is a guarantee that as it was possible for Jesus to ascend to heaven, so it will be possible for him to return the same way on a cloud. The promise of his second coming instills hope in the apostles. In effect, the present passage corresponds to Jesus' statement in Mark 13 that the gospel must first be preached to all nations before the end can come. It's a daunting task. Jesus, don't leave. We can't do it And they're right. They can't. But the Holy Spirit can through them. And the Holy Spirit can through us. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. The ascension, like the resurrection appearances, took place in the near vicinity of Jerusalem. It's a 15-minute walk from the mount of olives to the upper room and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas Bartholomew Matthew James the son of Alphaeus Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James the apostles were gathered upstairs large groups would normally meet upstairs the way the buildings were built downstairs, they had many rooms, and so there was great support for the upper stories with lots of walls. The lower stories were used for various things, but the upper rooms were where large meetings would be held, where, where the churches, the early churches, would be held. Perhaps this upper room is not the one where Jesus instituted the Eucharist, but it is the one where the Holy Spirit descends in a little while. This is the same list of apostles we find in the Gospel of Luke. Such lists, or even long genealogies, speak to us of God's love for each of us individually. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. The apostles had just seen Jesus being taken up in a cloud. Can you imagine the excitement of the 120 people gathered in that room hearing that account? Those assembled would be left in stunned, amazement. They began to pray with one mind and with persistence. Jesus had ascended. The Holy Spirit is coming. In addition to the apostles, who were the people who, who were the people who met to pray, Luke says that they were a group numbering about 120, and there were and there were women. Perhaps they were the women who came up from Galilee, the ones who stood at a distance observing the crucifixion, those who noted how his body was placed in the tomb, those who brought spices, and those who observed the empty tomb and proclaimed. He's alive. He's alive. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna surely must have been present. Perhaps the wives of the apostles were present. We must include the brothers of Jesus, especially James, who was a a prominent leader in the church. And then, there is Mary, the mother of Jesus. Perhaps we should say the mother of God. God's Spirit overshadowed her that she might bring into the world Him who would be Lord and Messiah. She gave birth to Jesus. Now she sits the believer among those who are about to behold the Holy Spirit giving birth to the church. Everyone knew she was His mother. Yet in humility, she sits with the others and prays. In every church... There's a group of women who intercede. They know who they are. Sometimes we know who they are. And they have a profound impact on what happens in that church. Can you imagine sitting and praying with Mary? She who bore our Savior was just sitting as a church member. Pray. What prayers would Mary pray? I know one prayer that Mary did pray. I'm going to read to you now. You know it. Can you imagine, sitting in a room, praying with Mary? They began to pray with one mind and with persistence. They are waiting, but they're not just sitting there. They're doing something, something. They're praying. They're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. Let we just take a minute, a minute. I'd like to ask all of you to pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come to you personally and to come to this church. We'll celebrate Pentecost next week, but right now I ask that you pray and then I will finish. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are mighty and you have done great things for us. You're holy, merciful, and strong. You fill us with good things and we thank you. You tell us to wait, to seek you, to honor you, to long to run free. Powered by your Holy Spirit. To proclaim the truth of your gospel. To preach repentance and forgiveness of sin to all the earth. To know you are always with us. That you will not leave us and will not forsake us. Father, we long for your spirit. Fill us, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit.